Okay, grab your Bibles, turn to 2 Timothy chapter 1. We're going to be in verse 13 today. Thanks, guys. We uh, normally make this announcement later in the year. I have four-wheel drive. We're going to always have church. You just use your best judgment. If it's just me, if I can figure out how to get the equipment on, we'll live stream. So it'll be fine. Um, if there is ice, if we got ice covering the roads, we'll cancel. That's kind of the, the idea. I suppose it could be like Snowmageddon and it could shut us down, but that's pretty slim. Uh, you'll want to watch the church's website, the Facebook account, and, and uh, there'll be updates for you. All right, first... Or 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13. Father, we ask today in Jesus' name that, Lord, you would help us to see how critical it is that we hold fast the form of sound words that, that has been entrusted to us. Lord, we pray that you'd find in us a generation of men and women, believers, who take you at your word, Lord, who treasure your word, and then, Lord, uh, as a result, we're faithful stewards of it, that we invested into the lives of people. And so, God, we need you this morning. Uh, without you, we waste our time with you. We'll be equipped, we'll be envisioned, and Lord, you'll be glorified. Lord, I ask that if there's any here today that do not know Christ as Lord and Savior, God, please let today be the day of salvation for them. We love you, Lord. Thank you for the privilege we have to meet together. Lord, those that couldn't come this morning over travel conditions, we pray that they would be blessed, that they would be edified. Uh, Lord, bring them back to us safely, we pray in Christ's name, amen. Okay, we saw in this second letter here in chapter one that there were gonna be five divine directives for the believer, and so far we've seen three. The first one was in verse six. Uh, Tim was to remember to stir up the gift of God in verse eight, we saw the next two. He was not to be ashamed of the testimony of the Lord. These directives for Timothy are directives for us. Verse eight says that we're to be partaker of the afflictions of the gospel. Uh, so we covered all of that. Those are on the sermon finder on our website. Now today we're gonna see the next divine directive that we are to take to heart, that we're to apply to our life. And before we look at verse 13, let's look back at verse 12. We see Paul's example. He says, for the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. Right, I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. I read that verse and I can't help but sing this. I know whom I have believed. And, am and so when I read it, it comes up. I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Paul knew in what and in whom he believed. Now the next directive to Timothy is, do you know what you believe? Look at verse 13. Hold fast the form of sound words which thou hast heard of me in faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. And brothers and sisters, don't miss that incredible picture. That's how it works. Right, the picture is this, you must first know whom, right? You must know whom, verse 12, and then verse 13, you better know what. In other words, Paul says, I know him. The question is, are you saved? Have you been born again? Do you know 
the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? And if you're saved, then have you committed your life to Christ? Do you know what you believe about him? Do you know what you believe in his word? In other words, have you been discipled? Do you know the word of God for yourself? Do you know how it applies to your life? Do you know how to use it in ministry? So that gives us, verse 13, gives us the directive. We are to hold fast the form of sound words. The form of sound words. So let's read the verse again. Paul says, hold fast. Hold fast means to hold strongly, right? To have and to hold strongly, surely, securely. It's to have continued possession. So hold fast the form. That word the form means the pattern. If you're gonna paint a masterpiece, you would first sketch out a pattern. It means the outline or the blueprint. Hold fast the form of sound words. Sound words are healthy words, they're wholesome words. They're complete words. Hold fast the form of sound words which thou hast heard of me in faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. So, you are, you, you and I as believers, we're to have a sure hold on what we're talking about here is Paul's discipling of Timothy. There's, a, there's an instruction set. There is a doctrinal set, right? There's an information uh, package that was delivered to him. You're to have a sure hold on good teaching, correct doctrine that you receive. That's the command. So how do we obey this directive? Paul says basically the same thing to Titus in Titus chapter one, verse nine. And the command here is holding fast the faithful word, how? According to your opinions, how you think or feel, what you think should or shouldn't apply to your life? No, it's as he hath been taught. You hold what is given to you. Second Timothy 2.2, Paul says the same thing to Timothy again. The things, not what you want to communicate, no, the things that thou hast heard of me among many faithful witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men. You don't come up with your own data set, your own doctrine. No, what I trained you in, Tim, that's what you pass on. The same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. So get this down in your notes. First of all, this is critical. You cannot hold fast the word until you're first taught the word. Now, this church, you knew that. I mean, Proverbs chapter four, verse four, gives a great illustration or vision for this concept. Verse four says, he taught me also, and said unto me, let thine heart retain my words, keep my commandments and live. Get wisdom, get understanding, forget it not, neither decline from the words of my mouth. So there's a discipler giving instruction to the learner, to the disciple. You have to be a learner of the word of God, right? You cannot hold fast something. You can't hold fast good doctrine, the word of God, until you've first been taught it. So you have nothing to hold if you've not been first correctly taught. So get this down in your notes. You must first be a learner before you can ever become a teacher. In the movie Avatar, I've, I've used this reference a time or two over the years. Uh, you remember there's, there's the, the, the evil corporate empire is trying to take the resources from the planet Pandora and you've got the hot cat monkey uh, tribal people running through the trees and, and Jake Sully is sent to uh, infiltrate 
the hot cat monkey models, and uh, they're going to try to t- take them out from the inside, and, and he's trying to learn their ways, and he's an idiot, you know, and they all know it, and, and uh, the witch doctor, she tells him, it is hard to fill a cup that is already full, Jake Sully. Okay, duh, I mean, that's, like, you get that, if the cup's full, it's, there's no room for anything else, and that's her point, is you think you know it all, and that happens, right? People want to teach before they're ever taught. They want to teach before they've actually learned what is right. God's plan, God, the way he sets it up is Ephesians chapter four, verse 11. God gave us apostles, prophets, evangelists, watch this now, pastors and teachers in verse 11. Why? Why did he give us teachers? Verse 12 says, for the perfecting of the saints, so that we'd actually grow and mature in the faith so that we'd be trained in ministry for the work of the ministry, for the edifying, the building up of the body of Christ. Now, what happens over and over again is people wanna take shortcuts. They wanna teach before they've actually been trained, before they've learned. I mean, you know, they try to say something before they actually know something. And I'll give you several examples, well, we don't have time. I'll give you a couple examples for this. I've lost count now. We've had a few pastors that have joined with us in the 16 years that MBT has been a church, and they have worked out really well. Uh, For every one of those, there have been a ton of former pastors that have joined with us, and they come for a week or two, and they get really excited, and they basically make a beeline to me, and they say, man, pastor, I'm so glad that God has me here, and and uh, it's just wonderful what the Lord is doing in this place. And, and uh, basically, they want to let me know that they're a pastor, they're very gifted, they're trained, and they can help me. And what they mean is they want me to hand them the mic. They want me to give them the pulpit. And they can help me train the people. And um, you know, my response to that is, nope. Well, you don't understand. I've had all this tra- Nope. Because bro, why didn't it work out for you at your last church? Why did that go sideways? What happened there? So whatever happened there, you're not bringing that in here. (laughs) You can start where everybody else started. You can sit and learn. Let's make sure we're on the same, let's make sure we're actually on the same page before you grab the mic. How about we start with that? This happens over and over again. Those guys never, if they don't get the mic, they don't stay and we lose them. Another example would be the typical Bible study in the Western church. What is common, what's typical in churches today is people sit around in a circle and they share their collective opinions and their biblical ignorance and functionally it's wasted time. And you'll hear things like, you know, well, God, you know, Bible study's good but God speaks to me in the wind of the trees and the smell of the flowers. Well, okay, <laughs> I'm sure you were blessed but you don't have anything to edify God's people in the faith. See, the Bible's plan is that first we have teachers. So what that means, disciple, is then that we must then first and foremost be learners. See, if we're not interested in studying God's word, then we won't live the life that God's called us to. If we're not interested in learning what is being taught, we're not going to be worth much in terms of Christian service. Get this down in your notes. The reason why is you can only give what you have. And if what you have is incomplete or faulty or flat out wrong, then that's what you're reproducing. Something incomplete, faulty, or wrong. Colossians chapter two, verse six says, 
watch how this is, watch how this command is given to God's people. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted up, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, how? As ye have been taught, not how as ye think, no, as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Hold fast, what? The traditions that you've been taught. Hold fast the form of sound words. Then live that, abound therein with thanksgiving. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit. After the tradition of men, some disciples were not astute. They weren't paying attention. And now they're going away that's right in their own eyes. And they're following after the rudiments of the world and not after Christ. So you want to be a learner first. If you're gonna say something, you actually need to know something. Let's make sure that what we know so that what we're saying is right. Amen, is everybody with me? So here's what, I'll just, I'll just, thumb the, I'll just thumbnail this for you. Here's how that works here at MBT. You wanna be accountable to grow in knowing God's word. And so what that looks like is you want to be with us in our Sunday and Tuesday worship services. You wanna be with us in our Sunday fellowships, why? Because that is a big part of how we're making disciples here at MBT. We are book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, we are grounding the members of this local church in the word of God. More than that, you wanna be in a Bible study. This is where you will be accountable to study the word of God for yourself. You wanna take the new members class, find out what it means to be a member here. Jump in to our COD class. It's COD coming up this Saturday. This Saturday, COD, you wanna jump in that class if you haven't done it yet. You need to hear from Luke chapter 14 what it's gonna cost you if you're gonna be a disciple of Jesus Christ. You have to count the cost. From there, we'll, if you've counted the cost and you're like, I'm all in, we'll pair you up with a mature believer who does know their Bible, who will teach you, they will give you a proper form of sound words, right? They will train you up in the basics of your faith, everything from your relationship to God to the judgment seat of Christ. You'll learn the word of God for yourself and then we'll teach you how to do the same thing in foundations two and three. We'll teach you what it means to be a minister. We want you to make disciples and we want you to do it with sound words. And then from there, we've got our, our Living Faith Bible Institute. Uh, we take you, it's the Living Faith Bible Institute is a Bible, it's a vocational tech school in the, in, the, in the word and in ministry. And we will take you from cover to cover in your Bible, from Genesis to Revelation. We're gonna show you how to stay straight dispensationally, how to be right doctrinally. We're gonna show you how to rightly divide the word of truth as the Bible commands you to. More than that, we'll show you how to minister. We'll show you how to use the word of God in the lives of people. Uh, we have a path for growth. One of the mottos of our church is we want every member to function legitimately as a minister. You need to know the word of God and how to use it in the lives of people. We have it uh, on the west side of the lobby. We've got a path of growth charted out for you. You can look at that if you have questions come and grab one of us. Here's the bottom line. If you don't follow, if you don't follow after good doctrine, you're liable to be taken in by bad teaching. If you don't know what's true, you might actually fall for deception. If you don't stand for right doctrine, you'll end up being taken in by heresy. 
And so point number two, the danger of heresy, false teaching is real. Teaching that does not edify but divides. It's real. Let me ask you, what if I told you that you're gonna end up at the end of your life a wicked old man or a wicked old woman? Like, it's gonna happen. You're gonna end up old and wicked. Oh, bear with me a minute, I, it's, it's hard for me to do this because I get, I get the giggles sometimes. I'm you at, your, at the end of your life. Let's go get the sinning. Let's party wicked style and then you're beating puppies with your cane and you know, that kind of thing. You're like, I'm the devil in adult diapers. You know, like you're just, you're all in on just being a monster, you're screaming at little kids. And <laughs> I mean, you think it's a joke, but when I first started preaching, they sent me to a rest home and uh, I'm there doing the Sunday morning service. There was an old woman in the group that was muttering under her breath after a while, an old man stands up and he screams at her, would you shut up? I'm so sick of you. And he's like, right here, we're having church at the rest home. He's like, I hate you. <laughs> and then he would listen to me. <laughs> he's, he's being attentive, he's listening to me and she's over there muttering and, and it, would just, it would just cycle. You know, he'd tell her to shut up, then he'd listen to me and then he'd, I shut up, I hate you. You know, it's like, this is, isn't the love of Jesus something wonderful? Okay, what's gonna keep you from a horrible end? Right now you're like, that will never be me. Oh, oh. We'll see. Time proves all things, doesn't it? We'll see. Well, how do I avoid turning into a monster? How do, okay, so that's the extreme. You know, where most people, right, they leave the form of sound words and they end up in doctrinal error. They end up in apostasy. What keeps you out of that trap? What keeps you from drowning in the evil that consumes our lives? What keeps us from the error that's leading so many astray? How do you keep from falling away from the faith and love which is in Christ Jesus? Well, actually, this is an easy one. It's not always easy to do, but it's easy to understand. You stay on the course that God set you on. You know, I can't tell you how many times over the years, okay, so with this year, I am a senior citizen. I turned 55 this year so I can get my AARP, whatever that does. I don't even know anything about it yet. But anyway, I'm excited to find out. Um, but I know this, there's been a lot of time, and I can tell you I, of countless examples of people who 30, 35 years ago, they would have said, this is the word of God, and I'm accountable to it, and so help me God by his grace, I'm gonna live my life investing it in the lives of other people. And now, effectively, they're out in the world living for themselves. How did it happen? How does that happen? They didn't stay the course. They didn't hold fast the form of sound words. They didn't stay on track, and so they, they end up off mission. 2 Timothy 3.14 says to continue, but continue thou in the things which thou hast learned. The data set that God's giving you in the local church isn't so that you know something cool and then you set it aside and then just go do what you want. No, you continue in it. Continue, continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. What we're giving you here at MBT is not something that we came up with. It was something that was delivered to us 
And now we in turn are delivering it to you. Leaders in churches today, they have to stay on course. Why? Because it's so discouraging for the disciples that they made or the churches that they planted. Whenever a church does not hold fast the form of sound words, they end up going the way of the world in some way. That's discouraging to, to their disciples, to their spiritual descendants. And now they're struggling with the same issues. I think the real temptation that, that, that gets many people off track today, it's a concept, I think, Maybe, this, maybe you could spiritually title it, they, they end up going along to get along. I mean, historically, there's so many false teachings, there's so much perversion of the scripture, substituting for the grace of God the works of man. We know all about that. And you see it, the man-made versus Bible-revealed isms and theologies. But in top of all of that heresy, today there's the addition of woke, progressive reimagining and reinterpretation of scripture deconstruction of faith. Now the church is being forced with, you know, boycott, divest, sanction Israel, or you're, you're a purveyor of hate. You know, everything's broken down into the idea of the colonizer versus the colonized victim or victimizer. Not to mention the LGBTQ plus squared, square root. I, like, I've lost track of all of the ways that it's described. There's an agenda that's being forced on people. If you're not with it, if you're not, support, if you're not actively voicing your, your support, then you're a hate monger. And why? Why do people end up allowing that to take over, those agendas to take over the mission of the church? Why? Well, I don't think they start out by saying, how can I offend God? They start out by saying, they don't wanna offend anyone. They don't, people don't wanna offend other people. And as a result, the mission and message ends up changing, and at the end of the day, you're offending God himself. God said what he meant, and he meant what he said, and to explain that away so that you can now have something that's palatable to the lost world, that's offensive to the Lord. Titus chapter one, verse nine again says, holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. So listen up, you wanna hold fast the faithful word as you have been taught. Don't twist what you're given in order to justify what you wanna do and say tomorrow. You get an example of this when we get down to verse 15. Uh, You've got a couple of people who turn away, right? All of Asia, right? All they which are in Asia, Asia, be turned away from me. Of whom are Phygelus, his name means fugitive or to flee, and Hermogenes. His name is a derivative of the Greek god Hermes. And so that's interesting. I mean, in a time of persecution, Rome's persecution of Christians, many Christians turned away from their faith. They fell away. And so here you've got two brothers who turn away from Paul, they turn away from his doctrine, they go along to get along, and the picture is in their names, right? They fled to false gods, that's the picture. You, later in the book, we're gonna see Demas forsook Paul. Why? He loved, his God was the world, the way of the world. He loved the world more than the kingdom of God. And it, we're seeing it today. So many of God's people who were firm in their faith yesterday, they're falling away. They're living just like the lost world around them. They value something of the world as greater worth. 
And Jesus warned you against that. In Revelation 3, verse 11, behold, I come quickly, hold fast that which thou hast. What do we have? Well, we have the form of sound words, don't we? Hold fast the form of sound words. Isn't that what we're seeing today? So here's the warning. Better hold it, hold it fast, that no man take thy crown. There is the possible, you fall away from the faith, you lose reward at the judgment seat of Christ. You must hold fast the form of sound words. Revelation 2, verse 25. But that which ye have already, hold fast till I come. You are a steward of the Lord Jesus Christ, and he has entrusted treasure to you. Hold it fast. You're going to be accountable for it. You know, God gave you the form of sound words, healthy words, sure words, good doctrine. And there, we're gonna talk about this in just a second. There is the doctrinal set that we have been taught, and that is what we need to be faithful to teach. But we also need to consider the medium in which those sound words are delivered. And the promise of scripture is this. In Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 20, God says, have I not written to thee excellent things and counsels and knowledge that I might make thee know the certainty of the words of truth? that thou mightest answer the words of truth unto them that send thee. In other words, you ought to know what God said so that when people have questions, you can say, it doesn't matter what I think. The Bible says you have the certainty of the words of truth. You have a Bible that you know is the very word of God. Psalms 12 says it this way, verse six. The words of the Lord are pure words as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them. Keep what? What's them? in context. What is it? Yeah, pure words. God will keep his pure words. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. And so from that time, the amount of scripture that they had, it's going to be, the word of God will be preserved pure to every generation that follows. Now, where can we find the fulfillment of that promise? The question on the floor is, do we have it in the English language? Do we have the pure words of God? Do we have the certainty of the words of truth? Now, we here at the Midtown Baptist Temple, we believe that God has given us this in our authorized version. That is the form of sound words. It's the certainty of the words of truth. Uh, We know we have the very word of God without any mixture of error. Now, people will say to that, but those words are hard words to understand. It's archaic, it's archaic English. Well, okay, I know educational standards are falling. Maybe, you know, educational standards will continue to fall to the extent that the King James eventually will be written on the level of a, you know, a PhD or something. But, but really, it's written at the level of a third to sixth grade uh, comprehension level. It's understandable by a child. The studies have been done. It is at a third to sixth grade reading level. Now, what we have in this service are, it's high school and up, okay? So we have educated people, intelligent people. Uh, you can learn a few new, voca- well, they're actually old vocabulary words, but they're new to you, so you can learn a few new vocabulary words. Don't change the form. Don't change the form of sound words. You say, well, how do I know that the King James Bible contains actually sound words? How can I know that? Well, remember, God said he would preserve his word to every generation, he's gonna preserve it. He's a perfect God, he's the beginning and the end, he's the almighty, he can do that, he can preserve his word, can he? 
Can he not keep his promise? He can preserve his word. The question is, do we have it in our language? In terms of his word, well, we know the promise is sure. So, nobody is disagreeing over this. Psalms 119, verse 160. Thy word is true from the beginning. Every one of thy righteous judgments endureth forever. Verse 144. The righteousness of thy testimonies is everlasting. Verse 152. Concerning thy testimonies, I have known of old that thou hast founded them forever. And then here's a passage that everybody knows, Matthew 5, 18. Jesus said, verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Now we believe that we have that, that certainty of the words of truth. That this is the word of God without any mixture of error. We believe we have that in our King James Bible. Now the King James Bible, in terms of the English language, it's unique. Of all English translations of the Bible, it is unique, it stands alone. I think I have it there in your notes. The King James Bible comes from the right text, the right translators, the right technique, and the right theology. And I gave you a link to Dr. Waite's book, The Fourfold Superiority of the King James Text, and I'll just sum this up for you very quickly. The King James is the only English translation that comes from the right text. Basically, out of the thousands of manuscripts that are in existence today, uh, they're broken up into several camps. You can actually break them up into two camps. There's one camp known as the received text. That makes up over, now, used to be 94, now it's over 95% of the manuscripts that exist from antiquity. Manuscripts that have been passed down over the generations. Um, over 95% now are part of what is known as the textus receptus. In other words, these are texts that agree with one another in terms of message. These are the texts that the church has believed, received, used, bled, and died using, right? Passing down to, you know, sub, 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 subsequent, subsequent, I can't say the word subsequent, sub, following generations. <laughs> Uh, subsequent generate, there we go. It's like the word cinnamon, sometimes I just get hung up on it. Okay, so they saw it as the very word of God. They used it, right? So that's the received text, agree and message used by the church. Now the other, now less than 5%, they disagree in terms of message with the received text, but also with one another. They don't agree in terms of the message, the witness to the message in terms of one another's differences uh, in those texts. And so for the sake of this conversation, we'll call that body of text the textus rejectus. Why? Because historically, the church did not receive them as being the preserved word of God. They are typically in better condition, um, mainly through less use. Okay, so, the King James Bible is the only English translation that's based on the Textus Receptus. Every other English translation, including the New King James, takes edits or the translation is completely from what we're calling in this conversation the Textus Rejectus, right? The, the text that the church historically rejected as the word of God. The right translators, the scholarship of the James gang was unparalleled. You had guys on there that, that from their youth were speaking multiple ancient languages. Uh, some of these guys 
There's one guy in particular, they said he could be the interpreter general at the Tower of Babel. You know, that, I mean, just the scholarship is excellent. But then the technique that they used, they were dedicated to literally translating the text into the English language. So many, we call it a, a formal or a literal translation of the text. So many times they want to just give you the equivalence of what's being communicated. It'll be, a, it'll be a paraphrase, right? They'll try to give you information. And so I heard of one translation where Jesus is said as being the rice of life because the culture had no bread that they were translating into. Uh, again, that wasn't an English translation, but that's the mentality. How do we get the message across? We're not so much concerned about the words of what uh, God's word says, but we're, but we're more concerned to pass on the message. Okay, well, the James gang, in translating the King James Bible, they were dealing with the same problem. And so what they did is they, anytime a word could be translated different ways, they would put a note in the margin of the Bible. You have that in your King James text. If a word could be legitimately rendered another way, they gave you full disclosure. If there were words that they had to add in order to say the same thing in the receiver language, to say exactly the same thing in the receiver language, in English, as was said in their original, they put it in italics, because they wanted you to know these words are not in the original text. But they have to be there, otherwise it's gonna be nonsensical to you. That's the way it is in any translation uh, you always have to add words to say in the receiver language exactly what was said in the original. And then they had the right theology. These translators believed that Jesus Christ was born of a virgin. They believed that he actually died for our sins. He was buried and he rose again on the third day. They've called on him for mercy, forgiveness, and salvation. You wanna read Dean Burgeon's book, Unholy Hands on the Bible. Unholy Hands on the Bible. Both of these books you can read for free. You can see, find the PDF on the internet. Unholy Hands on the Bible, he talks about unbelievers from the beginning. I mean, he's, he was at the head of this issue in the 1800s. Uh, you've got guys that do not believe that Jesus was born of a virgin. They don't believe he literally, physically rose again. These are people who are translating modern versions of the Bible. And their opinions find their way into the text. So you just need to know that. Here's the bottom line. If God cannot preserve his word, then we will never have a Bible that we can entrust our lives to, entrust our lives to. and why? Well, because for over 300 years, right, the King James Bible was all that the English-speaking church had. It was all that they used for over 300 years. And if that's not the certainty of the words of truth in English, then we never had it, we never will because the multiplication of English translations, I mean, they're multiplying like rabbits right now and they don't agree with the King James. They don't agree in terms of content with one, an content with one another. So where do we find the certainty of the words of truth? The typical Bible scholar says, right here. So what he says, what he thinks, ultimately at the end of the day, that settles it until you run into another Bible scholar that has a different opinion. Let God be true and every man a you will not hear me correct this book. I want to just say what this book says and we want this book to correct us. I want the certainty of the words of truth. If I can't have it, I'm in the wrong business. If God is who he says he is, a preserver of his word, then you can look at the evidence and I'm telling you, and you should, you should look at the evidence for yourself. You can have the certainty of the words of truth in your language. 
Hold it fast, love it, learn it, live it. Don't treat it like Lent. People today are leaving the authorized version over pragmatism. I had a pastor tell me why he left, he led his church into leaving the King James Version of the Bible. He said, Sam, your grandchildren will never read, much less understand a King James Bible. They might as well be trying to read Greek or Hebrew. When he told me that, I had a little gal, a Chinese gal, she's a missionary to Vietnam uh, today, she, with her King James Bible, she speaks English as a second language. She reads it, she understands it. She's discipling a little gal on the UMKC campus, a little blonde American girl with a King James Bible who is reading it and understanding it. You know, in terms of MBT's story, we've got young people that are coming to Christ left and right, and we're using a King James Bible to do it. And they're learning it, they're knowing it, they're growing, and they're fine until some adversary comes along and accuses them that they're in a cult because of the version of the Bible that we use. Okay, for over three, we just, for, study your history. For over 300 years, the King James Version of the Bible was the only version that the English-speaking church was using. Were they all cults because they were using it? It's unbelievable. Young person gets saved today. They're like, I need a Bible, here you go, okay and they just start learning it. It's not until some adversary comes along and tells them that it's a dumb, it's a dumb text, don't use that. Man, that's demonic. We got Mike losing, his, I mean, that Living Faith Boston is losing their place of worship because the pastor there found out they were holding to the King James Version of the Bible and he informed him, we are multi-version only, get out. It's like, when did Baptist churches go to war over these things? I'm telling you, it's just been the last few decades. This used to be a non-issue. Something is up. There's something rotten in Denmark. You have the certainty of the words of truth. Invest your life in it. Let's learn it together, 2 Timothy 3.14. Continue thou the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. So you're learning something of great value Let's stick with it. Second, there is the doctrinal set that, that's being delivered. We're to hold fast the form of sound words, right? We're to hold fast the traditions as we have been taught. Scripture's very clear on this. I'll give you a brief summary of the doctrinal set that we teach here at MBT. We take, right, we approach interpretation of Scripture. We approach it through a grammatical, literal approach. In other words, the words say what they mean and they mean what they say. So if the Bible says what it means and means what it says, we take it at face value. We take the literal interpretation until it becomes ludicrous, right? In other words, there are turns of phrase in your King James Bible and there are allegorical, right? There are passages in the Bible that are allegorical in intrinsic nature, in, in intrinsic nature and it makes itself very plain when you are to interpret it allegorically. It's, it self-discloses. So we take a literal grammatical approach to scripture versus an allegorical approach to interpreting scripture. Allegorical means basically that the words of God mean what we want them to mean. So because we take a literal grammatical approach, we take a dispensational view of the Bible. As such, we see the church, Israel, and the Gentile world as separate entities. There's no combination of those. We're pre-tribulation in our view of the rapture. We believe that God is not done with the nation of Israel because we can read Romans chapter 11. 
We believe that Christ is returning to a literal rule for a, an actual thousand-year reign, followed by the complete destruction and recreation of a new heaven and a new earth. You ought to sometime make sure you check out our statement of faith. We give you, I think I gave you a reference to that in your notes. Just check out the statement of faith. If God has you here, can you submit to that statement of faith? I'm not asking that you have a, a doctoral level understanding at every point. Um, it's very plain. Can you submit to it? Because that's what we teach here. And if you're gonna teach here, well, that's what you're gonna teach as well. If you wanna teach something else than that, well, go find another church and you can teach it there. Praise the Lord, it's, it's a big pond. There's plenty of places for schools of fish to hang out, all right? Titus 2.1, speak thou the things which become sound doctrine. The Bible commands you to hold fast the faithful word as you have been taught. Don't twist today what, 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 you're, what you're taught today. Don't twist that in order to justify what you want to say and do tomorrow. Because if you don't watch out, if you don't hold fast the word of God, you will end up in error. And that's a terrifying concept. You ought to tremble at the idea of teaching somebody God's word wrong. It's a serious thing to teach error to God's people. If you lead somebody astray over, because you want the Bible to say what you want it to say, instead of letting it speak for itself, you've got your own agenda, and you teach God's people wrong, you will answer to God himself over it. Mark chapter nine, verse 42 says, whosoever shall offend one of these little ones that believe in me, God takes his children seriously. It is better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and he were cast into the sea. Bummer, man. I mean, you find yourself in a sea with a millstone about your neck, you're going down. I mean, that is, that's, that's a bummer right there. That's a bad day. Tremble. I, when I think about, James says, be not many masters. You give, you give a greater account, right? There's, there's double accountability for the guy that stands and says, thus saith the Lord. Whenever I think about the idea of teaching, like, here's the bottom line, okay? We're all gonna get our doctrine straightened out at the judgment seat of Christ. Nobody is going to get to the judgment seat and not get corrected somewhere, okay? And the idea that I teach a bunch of people wrong, and I get to the judgment seat, and you all are looking at me like, well, what the what, <laughs> you know? Because the hammer's getting dropped, we're losing reward. The idea of teaching wrong makes me pee a little. What a fearful thing to think about leading one of God's kids astray because you want the Bible to say what you want it to say. And so you explain it away and you just say what you want and people, they don't, they don't think critically because they're designed by God to be taught. Critical thinking comes later and now you've messed them up. Man, God help us. Hold fast the form of sound words. Point number three, the way to stay doctrinally straight, to keep to doctrinal faithfulness is actually very plain. Verse 13 says, hold fast the form of sound words which thou hast heard of me in faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. Man, you have everything you need in Jesus to stay on path, to stay, out, to, to stay the course. In faith, 
Hold fast the form of sound words which thou hast heard of me in faith. So study to show yourself approved unto God. Know what you believe and why you believe it. Romans 14, 23 says, for whatsoever is not of faith is sin. So don't be lazy, be a Berean. Know what you believe. Book, chapter, verse. Know, know what the word of God says. I mean, how did you start your relationship with God? How did you, how did you partake of the grace of God for salvation? Well, you believed on the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the, the word of God. You heard the gospel of Jesus Christ and you believed on it. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word. So you got saved by God's grace through your faith, through believing on the word of God. That's how you got started in your relationship with God. That's how you continue. Know what the Bible says, believe on it. Be established in your faith. And then in love. So the implication here is you hold fast the form of sound words which Paul discipled Timothy in. In faith and, the implication is, in love, right? In faith and in love. So let the love of Christ constrain you. If you've got a relationship with Jesus, the love that you have in him, let that motivate you to be all about knowing his word to be all about his business. You know, whatever you love, you know a lot about. Some people love football. I mean, they love it. And they know, I enjoy football, okay? I don't love it. I, I enjoy watching a game. But when you got some guy who's over there, Professor Football's over there, man, 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 you see what he did? And it's like, you're, you're robbing my joy. You're robbing my joy, bro. Like, like, they love it. They know everything about it. They know, understand all of the, the, uh, the intricate details in terms of penalties and technicalities. And I mean, they're just all about it, Pastor Morgan. So anyway, <laughs> they, they love it, so they know a lot about it. They know a lot about it. Do you love Jesus? If you do, then you're gonna learn a lot about him. Know him. You know, if you know anyone, if you know who they are, what they think, it's because you've spent time with them. You've spent time studying them. Any husband worth his salt studies his wife. He learns her. He learns to know her. You have to spend time with the Lord, listening and learning. And the invitation on the floor this morning is join with us. Some of you, you're passive attenders, and it's in one ear and out the other. You need to decide you love it. You need to be a learner because God wants to use you to be a teacher. And the idea of being a teacher without knowing the form of sound words, that ought to terrify you. Conversely, this is something that God, any of God's children can do. You just gotta want it. Just plug in, get invested, stop with the excuses, and learn the Bible with us. Because God does wanna use you to teach others the certainty of the words of truth. He wants to use you to teach people the form of sound words. He wants to use you to see them conform to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's nothing more rewarding than knowing that God's using you, your relationship with him, your relationship with him in his word, God's using you to establish other people in the faith. The light comes on, they're growing in their faith, they start being productive in their service to the Lord Jesus Christ, and God used you to be a link in that chain. Man, how awesome. In the excuses, plan to just be a part of this. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name, and Lord, 
how we need you. Again, Lord, I'm praying for each member of MBT that we'd recognize the call to hold fast the form of sound words. How can we do that if we don't know them? Lord, I'm praying for our growing disciples that they would stay the course. Lord, make us a fruitful people, a people that bring you great glory because we simply take you at your word. Lord, some people, they have excuses, they have reasons for why they're not jumping in. They just attend. God, would you just strip all that away? Lord, would you help us truly, as a Midtown Baptist Temple, would you help us truly, every member, function as a minister? Lord, if there's any here today that do not know Christ as Lord and Savior, God, I'm praying that you'd pour out your spirit, even now, pour it out in conviction over sin. Show us our desperate need of Christ as Lord and Savior. God, have your way with every life. Be glorified. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.